This is WMPG. My name is Dr. Ann, and this is Safe Space, a show devoted to subjects that are hard to talk about because they make us feel vulnerable, afraid, or ashamed. This month, we're exploring the topic of women's sexuality. It's been so interesting. We might extend it beyond this month. My guest tonight is Susan Ramsey, and we'll be talking about incontinence. Susan is the owner of Holistic Physical Therapy Services in South Portland, right here in Maine. It's the largest physical therapy pelvic floor rehab facility in all of New England. Susan also has a background in academic physical therapy. She's been in practice for over 27 years, and she's the mom of a 10 and a 12-year-old. Welcome to Safe Space, Susan. Thank you so much for having me, Dr. Ann. Great. I wanted to start out by asking you how it was that you started a physical therapy practice that focuses or at least specializes in the pelvic floor. Well, um, my background is in viewing all my patients through a holistic lens. So in Philadelphia, my focus was on treating the whole person and not just seeing them as an injured part. And I moved to Maine seven years ago and was fortunate to be working under the umbrella of Susan Dowdy and the New England mm-hmm. Women's Center. And Susan Dowdy is a premier women's health nurse practitioner. And she started referring a lot of, of her women's health clients to me. And they were suffering in very many ways. They were leaking urine, leaking bowel, having pelvic pain, and they had no place to go. And in Philadelphia, there were several women's health physical therapy practices who were integrated in the medical community. Mm. And in South Portland, there weren't any. Mm -hmm. So... Right. I'd never heard of this before. Absolutely. And women's health, people say physical therapy. What can a physical therapist do for me? Well, physical therapists are trained in the muscles and the nerves of the body. And women's health physical therapists are very specifically trained in dealing with the pelvic floor, breast cancer rehab, um, Mm. oncology rehab, osteoporosis, issues that affect women very specifically. Okay. And just to be really specific even more. Yes. When we talk about the pelvic floor, what are we actually talking about? Uh, the pelvic floor is my favorite part of the body. Okay. And I think you're not alone in that. It is. <laughs> and a few of us realize how important the pelvic floor is. And just imagine for a minute, Dr. Ann, this beautiful bowl, the most beautiful bowl you could ever imagine that sits in the center of your body. And it's located behind the pubic bone and goes all the way around your body. It attaches to the tailbone. And it's this gorgeous muscular layer that's a bowl in the center of your body. And it does three things that are really essential to our feeling good about ourselves as human beings. And the first one is it supports our bladder and our rectum and all the organs above it. So it's supportive. Mm-hmm. It closes the openings of the urethra and the, the anus so that we don't leak. So after we go to the bathroom, the muscles naturally close. It's automatic. They're amazing muscles. And the third is sexual function and sexual pleasure, which is a huge component of the pelvic floor. Mm-hmm. So very vital part of our body, but it's internal. You know, most muscles are in the outside of our body, you know, and these are internal muscles. So people have a lot of embarrassment and shame around anything that's internal. 
Uh-huh. It's interesting. I think the subject of shame is so connected to this. Yes. And the thought that it was because they were internal hadn't crossed my mind. I, th- I thought it was more because of messages we get about sexuality or messages we get about, you know, the smell or waste or just going to the yes. bathroom, which is sort of, we get, you know, we get told very young, we're not supposed to make jokes about that. It's not nice to talk about that. Yes. Um, so I imagine it's all connected. It is all connected. And yeah. the fact that we can't see them makes them even more secretive. We can't see oh, these I muscles. See. They're hidden. Uh-huh. And anything to do with hiding is connected to shame. Yes, it sure is. Yeah. So if someone comes to you and you already know that shame is part of this, yes. um, how do you help women feel at ease when they come into your door? Well, I think there's several things that we do really well. We have 10 physical therapists on staff that are women's health specialists. So all of us, this is our passion, Mm. helping and educating and empowering women. We treat men, women, and children, but the focus of tonight is on women. So we've created a beautiful space. And that's very important. The aesthetics Mm -hmm. are important to safety. Mm -hmm. So when most people think of physical therapy, they think of big gyms, curtains, smells, noise. No privacy. No privacy. So we have body odor. Body odor. Just (laughs) right. And our practice is beautiful. The treatment Mm -hmm. rooms are private. The doors lock. If people Mm -hmm. want to lock door for privacy, there are windows, there's art and plants and it has a feel of safety that's very important mm-hmm. um, to certainly us as practitioners, but to our clients. And secondly, the people that refer to us trust us. Mm-hmm. So if a physician or nurse practitioner or a friend or a family member has made a referral to us, um, they trust us. Mm-hmm. And and it's it's through education and just sitting with and being with our patients that we make the difference. You know, mm-hmm. I call that therapeutic presence. Right. Just, so it's something that people feel in, when they're in your presence. They, they feel, sense the kind of calm yes. availability that you have. Yes. And that it yeah. is our passion. It's, it's our mission. It's our purpose. It's what we love to do. We want to empower women in taking control of their own bodies and learning about them and appreciating them. Yeah. I mean, in a sense, it's not only that they sense that you're not embarrassed, but you're, you're so much beyond not being embarrassed. You, you imagine the pelvic floor is this sort of sacred, beautiful. Yeah. Yes. So you really celebrate it. Yes. Yeah. And that's a great word. Yeah. I would say that we really do celebrate the pelvic floor. Yeah. Which is so radically different than most people experience anywhere else. Um, okay. So talking more specifically about incontinence, who, who's at risk for incontinence? Who does it happen to? Okay. There's so many myths about incontinence that I want to just shatter tonight. Okay. The first is that when we think of incontinence, we think of elderly women. Yeah. We think of grandmothers that conjures smells and odors and feelings that are very strong in us. Yes. But the truth is incontinence starts, can start, you know, very early in life. Childhood bedwetting is a form of incontinence. Uh Um, I would say I would divide it into three or four different types of incontinence. There's certainly pediatric or childhood incontinence. There's athletic, female athletic incontinence, which is very prevalent among, starts as early as junior high school. Mm. And the spirit squirt is what it's called among cheerleaders. 
The spirit. The squirt. Spirit squirt. <laughs> now that's a new one. Yes. Now, now, why would one have a spirit squirt? Yes. Well, what's happening with our young women is that they're training harder and lifting weights and working out very early. And they're not educated in how to properly use the pelvic floor during especially weight training and lifting activities. Mm. And over time, the pelvic floor becomes weak and people start to leak. And uh, you mean like when they're straining to lift a yes, lot of weight kind of or thing? Or most athletes don't necessarily leak during the athletic event. It's during training. And the current research shows that about 30% of all female college athletes have some type of incontinence, especially in the high-impact sports, gymnastics, lacrosse, field hockey, huh. track and field, versus, say, swimming or golfing, very low incidence of Right. Leakage. Right. So, and the idea being that these people have, like, if I think of a gymnast, I think her whole body is a muscle, but yes. she's not using her pelvic floor muscles while she's using all her other muscles? Yes. It's not instructed. People don't talk about the core, especially the pelvic floor. Again, it has a lot of sexual context to it. Yeah. So, you know, heaven forbid we teach our girls how to use their pelvic floor. It could lead to other things. I mean, that's the, that's the, the, fear out there. We don't there. even want to acknowledge it exists. Yes. Let alone show young women how to correctly use their pelvic floor. I see. So I want to talk about that toward the end of yes. the show. So those, so we have kids and we have female athletes. Yes. Who, who are the other two groups? Well, post-pregnancy is very common. When uh -huh. you think about um, delivery yes. and all the pushing that's involved, yeah. a lot of women end up with weak pelvic floors following delivery. And most often, you know, when we think about leaking, when do we leak? The first signs of weakness really occur when women cough, they sneeze, or they laugh really hard. Yeah. And I think all of us has have had that sensation of, oh my gosh, a little drop here and there. Yeah. That is normal. Okay. Anything beyond a few drops is, it's not normal. It's a sign that there's some weakness. Uh-huh. And can, and again, weakness can be easily treated as long as it's not something more serious, yeah. like neurological involvement or, you know, a tumor or something like that. Right. That gets a little more complicated. Yes, it does. Yeah. Okay. And then the fourth category? And the fourth category would be with aging, if women aren't strengthening their pelvic floor, it will weaken over time. Uh -huh. So with age, the pelvic floor can weaken if we're not using it. And is someone who's had a vaginal delivery more likely yes. as they age now? Two and a half times more likely to have incontinence okay. than, than other women, the non-parous women. Uh-huh. Yeah, I can imagine that. So this is uh, WMPG. My name is Dr. Anne. This is Safe Space. My guest tonight is Susan Ramsey, and we're talking about female incontinence. And we've just learned that the four people sort of most at risk are either kids with bedwetting, female college athletes, potent people immediately postpartum, and then women as they age. So, And there's other groups, certainly risk factors, people that yeah. smoke have really? a higher likelihood of incontinence because tobacco and nicotine are bladder irritant. Oh. People that have asthma are at risk for incontinence because they're coughing a lot. Anyone that has a lot of oh. coughing. Yeah. And um, people that have uh, are very obese are more at risk for incontinence as well. Uh -huh. And why would that be? The pressure, the downward pressure. The weight. Uh, the weight. 
Oh, I see. In a way, it's like being pregnant. There's all this weight yes, on top of your bladder. Exactly. Uh-huh. Okay. So, um, so somehow, by some good fortune, a woman finds her way to your office. Her yes. gynecologist, she talks about it with her gynecologist. She has the courage to even tell her gynecologist yes. that she's having this problem, which yes. is already very brave. Yes, very brave. Because of the stigma around it. The gynecologist knows about you and sends her to you. Yes. And then where, how does the treatment go? What do you actually do? Well, first we take a very thorough history and evaluation. And in our practice, that's about an hour and a half, which is a long time yeah. to really be with the client to see what is really happening. Yeah. And there's two types of incontinence. There's stress incontinence, which is typical what we think about of incontinence if you're coughing, sneezing, laughing, or walking, running, doing any activity where you have leakage. And there's urgency, which is when you see on TV the Detrol commercials that talk about urgency or having the urge to go to the bathroom. You mean like you got to get there quick? You got to get have there an quick. Accident. Yes. Okay. So we distinguish what's going on, and many women will have mixed uh-huh. a little bit of both. And we sit and talk and get a history. And then again, we're a holistic practice by nature. So we look at, we would do a whole body check. We would look at the spine. We would look at the hips. We look at the body first, the person as a whole. And then we would have them. And what's really important here is it's nothing like a gynecological exam at all. Mm. So that's the first fear that people need to overcome. There's no Mm -hmm. speculum. There's, there's no stirrups. It's a very different type of place to get evaluated. So we would look at the vaginal area and the rectal area to make sure there's nothing going on in terms of redness, swelling, anything that that may have been missed by other providers. And then we would just gently touch the outside to see if people can feel. And we would press gently to see if they had any tenderness. Um, again, which are signs that there may be something going on. Mm-hmm. And then we would do a gentle internal exam. And in the internal exam, the therapist, and again, when we think of the pelvic floor, it's close to the vaginal area and it's close to the rectal area. So it's right there in front of us. It's like half a finger length in. Mm-hmm. And we literally would feel all three layers of the pelvic floor, and we would be discussing it with our client and saying this is the first layer and seeing if what they feel. And when you say what they feel, do a number of women with incontinence have sensory loss? Yes, they have. I would say 40% of the women that we treat have pretty profound sensory loss. They can't feel left versus right, for example. They can't tell if we're touching up or down. And why would that be? Why would you lose that? Well, often that's due to delivery. And again, when we're not using those muscles, we lose that connection. And so delivery meaning like you had an episiotomy so the nerves were cut or delivery meaning you got stretched so far the nerve tore? Either or. So delivery itself without an episiotomy, you can have sensory loss afterwards. Absolutely. I never was told that in medical school. And I think the other part is that we, again, we're not using those muscles. We're not thinking about strengthening our connection between our mind and our pelvic floor. Right. So what we don't focus on can weaken or it just becomes very far away in our brain. So the sort of use it or lose it thing that people often say. 
Uh-huh. Okay. So you look for some kind of numbness or lack yes. of feeling. Yes. You look for tenderness or pain. Yes. And what else? And then we have the client do um, a pelvic floor muscle exercise or a Kegel so that we can feel what the muscle is doing. Okay. So we can feel if the muscle is strong or if the muscle is weak. And we can teach the client how to do a proper pelvic floor muscle exercise in that in that moment with our feeling what they're doing. Okay. So everybody I told about this interview to said, yes. Kegels, is she going to talk about yes. Kegels? Yes. And there was always great laughter and interest. And was, so I was taking an informal poll to say, well, how many of you people have done your Kegels, especially yes. after you delivered? And do you all know how to do a Kegel? And there was actually a lot of nervous laughter that everybody had heard about Kegels, but almost no one really knew what a Kegel was. And that is the crux of women's health physical therapy in terms of the pelvic floor side. Okay. So can you teach us over the radio? I can teach you. I can teach you somewhat over the radio. Okay. So tell tell me. So how I would have you do a Kegel, Dr. Ann, is first I would just have you shut your eyes. Okay. And... I would just bring your awareness down to your vaginal area. Okay. And I want you to imagine a bowl, a beautiful bowl. And in a minute, I'm going to ask you to inhale to prepare. And then as you exhale, you'll gently squeeze and lift the muscles around the vaginal area towards your belly button. So essentially up. Yes. Okay. And as if you're lifting the muscles away from your underwear, it's as if you're lifting your vagina away from your underwear. And it's fine if the muscles around your rectum contract because they're the pelvic floor too. I see, but you're not trying to do that. But we're not trying to do that. Okay. So inhale to prepare. Exhale and gently squeeze and lift the muscles up away from your underwear towards your belly button as if you're lifting the bowl upwards with your muscle. And then gently relax. And as you relax, feel the weight of the muscle relax because the contraction and the release of the contraction are both very important. Mm -hmm. So you want to be able to do both. Yes. And you want to be able to get that feel of the weight of the muscle as you contract and then the release of that weight as you release. And it's a very good feeling. It's almost like if I think about when people do these progressive muscle relaxations and they say, feel your body becoming heavy. Yes. Like the floor is holding your weight. It's sort of like that when you talk about very the weight. Very much like that. Interesting. Very much like that. Okay. And is it, you know, I felt like I was doing it right, but who knows? Is it, do people think they're doing it right and they're not? Yes. And the main reason is that people will do it in reverse. Meaning what? Um, They'll bear down instead of pulling up. Oh. Because we're so used to bearing down. Oh, right. We're not used to pulling up. Right. So interesting. Okay. And presumably that doesn't help them. No, not at all. It makes the situation worse. It makes it worse. Yes. Okay. So you're trying to strengthen. Now, people say about Kegels, certainly when I first heard about a Kegel, it was that, oh, it's supposed to make... Love making more pleasurable. Is that true? That's very true. I, what happens over time, it's the pelvic floor has all the blood vessels and the nerve supply. It's highly innervated. 
And when we start to use the muscles and really feel them and be really develop a relationship with them, it's amazing what people will say about their, their sexual life. Because again, for most women and a lot of our clients, once they start using the pelvic floor, and again, we teach the pelvic floor not in isolation, but using it during all your activities of daily living and having it be part of your daily life. You can sit and you can just be quiet and you can feel the pelvic floor and you can feel the pleasure in the pelvic floor just sitting. Just the yeah. pelvic floor. It's, 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 a, it's a, like a wonderful secret that we all have and we can feel at any time. And no one ever has to know it belongs to us. You know, it's wonderful to hear you say that because I think the other thing that I was told about Kegels before was that they would enhance the man's pleasure because it would be sort of uh, tighter for him. But there was never anything about that it would really enhance oh, the woman's very pleasure. very much so. Very much so. Okay, so that, that gives an added incentive. Yes. It's not and just for the person no, you love, it's but not. it's also for yourself. <laughs> it's not. You don't only have to be selfless and giving. <laughs> no, and, and I think the other part, too, is in terms of you asked the really good question, how would I know if I was doing it right? Yeah. You'd know you were doing it right if you had a leakage issue when you still coughed and sneezed and during running or, or exercise or activity or however you're leaking, that it didn't go away. Then you would know that, you know, you need more help. Okay. That there's weakness beyond what you can, you know, many women will read a book, they'll get a handout, it'll show you how to do a Kegel exercise, and they'll try it and it just doesn't work. And for those women, they usually aren't doing the exercise right. They might be very weak and exercising in the wrong position. So for those women who try it and still are leaking, again, that's when you would request a referral to a woman's health physical therapist mm -hmm. so that we could really assess what is happening. And most of the women we see have a lot of weakness. So the other part I didn't mention in the evaluation was we use biofeedback, which is a very powerful tool to teach. It's a visual tool and an auditory tool. So we have electrodes that we put on the buttocks and we ask women to do a Kegel and they can see on the screen the intensity of their Kegel so they can connect and learn how to control the pelvic floor. I see. So they can watch it and say, okay, that was a good one. That was yes, a strong one. That's a strong okay, one. And can they see if it's lopsided? Can see yes. like one side stronger than another? That's harder okay. to, to show, but you can show the general um, quality of the contraction or the relaxation, depending on what I you're see. looking So it's almost for. like a reinforcing educational tool where I can start to feel, oh, okay, I got it now. Exactly. Now I know what it feels like to do it right. Exactly. Uh-huh. And, and just to stay with this, so if, if I was going to be doing my Kegels, is the idea to hold it for a long period of time or to just do many short ones? Well, there's two types of muscle fibers in the pelvic floor. There are endurance fibers. 80% of the pelvic floor holds. It's that bowl that's holding. Again, if the bowl yeah. didn't hold, our organs would be all on the floor, basically. Right. So those are the marathon Those are the muscles. marathon ones. Yeah. So there's endurance exercises we teach, and then the quick flicks, which really focus on the fibers that close around the anus and the urethra. So you got to do both. In other yes, ways. you do. Okay. And if you do quick flicks, that's a new yes. term. I imagine that the challenge there is to actually fully relax between them. Um, well, between them, there's not a lot of relaxation in the quick flicks. The endurance exercises, there's a lot more relaxation in between. Uh -huh. And again, 
it's easier to do the fast ones than the endurance exercises. So that's an area that women have a harder time with. You know, it's like, oh, I don't want to have to hold for five seconds. Oh, so endurance is five seconds. Yes, or 10 seconds is what we should. for. I was thinking for. you were going to say five minutes. But it could be, you know, once you learn how to, to hold them correctly, you know, I could I could do endurance exercises during the entire interview. I mean, once you learn how to do it. Have you been doing Kegels? I've always do Kegels. <laughs> <laughs> Helps me relax. This is the whole thing. Nobody has to know. That's right. No one ever knows. This is your secret. That's right. <laughs> okay. So you mentioned also when we were talking before about... Um, uh, that, that well, there are a couple things I want to mention. One is that they're really important because of the relationship to hip fractures, and I want to talk yes. about that before we stop. Absolutely. When we think about, again, I'm look, we look at a preventive standpoint that we teach women how to use their, we basically teach women how to pee. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, now tell me how about that. Well, I don't want to. Because we all think okay. we know how to pee. We do, but we don't really because now, people do don't. So. So I'll start with the hip fracture piece, which okay. is yeah. a primary time that women fracture their hips is at night on their way to the bathroom. And a lot of women get up three, four, five times a night to go to the bathroom. And mm-hmm. that is that is not okay. That is not normal. Mm-hmm. Um, so unless, again, and there's, unless there's a medical reason for it, but for most women there isn't. It's urgency or they just have to go to the bathroom and they... They fall and they fracture on their way to the bathroom because they're rushing and they because can't they're see. rushing and they don't have their glasses on. They didn't turn the light on, yeah. and it's we know that women get admitted into nursing homes when they lose their continence at a very high rate. And a lot of those women that don't have Alzheimer's or other neurological issues going on would never be admitted if they would have been taught how to use their pelvic floor muscles correctly a lot earlier on. So incontinence is this huge life-defining thing. It is. It's. It's totally life-defining. Yes. I mean, I, I work with people who have trouble with partners because of smell issues or their partner yes. is just yes. can't quite feel attracted anymore. Yes. And so they lose their sexuality. Yes. They may lose their residence. Absolutely. So this is not a small issue. No, it's, it's a huge issue. And our goal, our staff's goal is to empower women and educate them and give them every tool possible to retain and enhance and embrace the dignity that is the pelvic floor. Okay. So this is WMPG, Dr. Ann on Safe Space, talking to Susan Ramsey about incontinence. I want to have two minutes. I want you to talk about two quick things. Yes. One is I want to talk about how successful are you? Yes. And secondly, I want you to teach us how to go to the bathroom. Okay. So our success rate, (laughs) we, I would say right now looking because I track our success rate. We're 85% successful wow. in the area of incontinence. In helping people not have accidents anymore. Yes. That is now, staggering. The patient has to really want it. Yeah, they have to so work. if you work, that's great. You can do it. And what a the, wonderful, that is really amazing. I mean, in medicine, in psychiatry, we don't have an 85% success right. rate for, you know, any of our medicines, for instance. Yes. Well, for pelvic floor, for those clients who've been carefully screened by their physicians or their nurse practitioners and where it's really musculoskeletal or neurological, a little bit in nature in terms of um, issues, we were very successful. That is so great to hear. Okay. Now tell us how to pee before we Okay. (laughs) So a bowel movement you're talking about. Oh, okay. Are you talking about? Either one. Either one. Okay. So I only have 30 seconds. So let's go for the pee first. Maybe we'll do the poop next week. So it's really important to know that it takes, the bladder holds about 16 ounces of fluid. Two cups. So you shouldn't be going to the bathroom any sooner 
than three to four hours in general. All right. Um, and what happens is women just in case pee, chicking, so that before they do any activity, they go to the bathroom often because they feel that they have to empty their bladder. And that develops a strong reflex that doesn't work for us. It works against us. What do you mean? Well, women become very sensitized to their bladder. Oh, I see. So they're just they in feel case it being... filling. They feel their bladder filling and think that they really need to go to the bathroom. When you can sit there and have six to ten seconds of a urine stream, one Mississippi, two Mississippi, then you know your bladder is full. And before that, don't go because it, I it's, a, it's a vicious cycle. It's a vicious cycle. Okay. And On again. that note, yes. Susan Ramsey, thank you so much for coming. I've <laughs> thank loved you for you. having me. All right. Uh, my thanks. Oh, and I want to just quickly tell yes. us your, your website yes. address. Yes, our website is www.holisticpt.com. And our phone number is 207-879-7510. Wonderful. Thanks for, ha thanks for coming to the Thank show. Thank you for having me, Dr. Ann. Thanks to Goober for mixing the sound and Maurice Lennon for the music. My name is Dr. Ann. This is Safe Space. If you would like to contact me to get more information or to suggest a new topic for the show, email me at drannwmpg at gmail.com. That's dr.annewmpg at gmail.com. Next Wednesday at 730, I will be inviting Susan Ramsey back to talk about pelvic pain. Coming up next is Money Talks with Allison. This program is brought to you with listener donations and an underwriting grant from The Sunrise Guide, a locally owned annual guide to living green in Southern Maine. The Sunrise Guide includes tips and resources along with more than 200 coupons for earth-friendly products and services. More information is at thesunriseguide.com. More, uh, or call 221-3450. I was gonna say that sentence all over again. Excuse me. Weather outlook. Let's get a little weather going on here. We got 25 for the low tonight. High 37 tomorrow. Sunny, sunny, sunny Thursday. Friday, sunny. High of 30. And Saturday, high of 41. It is now 8 o'clock here in WMPG and W281AC. Gorm, Portland. Stay tuned for Money Talks with Allison. <laughs> Hi, this is Allison. Welcome. It's another Wednesday night and another chance to talk about money. We have a great guest tonight.